calling out a clarion call. And the first person I called was Dr. Gregory. I said, hey, we're going to Kansas City. We have a young priest that we need to stand with. And that's where I, the first time I met Dominic. And I knew right off the bat that this, this guy is a, is a warrior for the good Lord. He loves to run to the battle. Um, I think you guys are going to be blessed by what he has to say. So, again, please give a warm Springfield welcome to Dominic Rizzi. I think they got to hook me up here real quick. Hello. Hello. I've been looking forward to this. Um, even though it's it, sometimes you don't want to be the speaker right after lunch because everyone has food coma, you know. Um, how many people are from Springfield? Uh, I hear you guys had rain just like two or three days in a row. Is that right? And look at outside now. Is it God good or what? So yeah, that's awesome. Okay, the, the title of my talk is Made for a Minute. You and I were all made for a mission. I, I love giving this talk to um, junior high, high school, and college students because we're in a world today where there's so many voices coming at us. We're not sure what voice to believe. But many writers have said the greatest single drive in human nature is our need for purpose and meaning. I'm going to say that again. The greatest single drive in human nature is our drive for purpose and meaning. Anyone ever read the book, um, um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? Anyone heard of it? Yeah, a few of you have. When I was in college my freshman year, I had to read that in one of the classes. And it's a true story about a Jewish man who was actually in World War II in this conservation, or the, conservation, the uh, concentration camps. And um, he was a psychiatrist. And back at that time, the, the thought was, if you took away everything from a human being, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, their clothes, everything they owned. The, the thought was people would let would descend to the level of an animal. Well, Dr. Viktor Frankl got to see firsthand what happened because he was in a concentration camp where they did exactly that because he was Jewish. And what he found is exactly that was true. 19 out of 20 people, he said, descended to the level of an animal. But he said one out of 20, about 5%, did just the opposite. They ascended to he called level of a saint. And as a therapist, he was like, what is different about these people? And you know what it was? They all had one thing in common. They had a purpose and a meaning to live, to see their wife again, to see their child again. It could have been any reason or just to simply get back to the guards. And that's all they needed to go through hell. But he said the other thing was also interesting is that once they lost that purpose, it was like turning a circuit breaker off, like whew, they would be dead within a few days or sometimes a few hours. And I remember um, there was a college president a number of years ago that he said, they asked and they said, hey, what do you see among these, the average, what's the biggest problem you see among college students? And he looked at him and he said, emptiness. I see emptiness. I look in their eyes and they're empty. They've heard so many voices come to them saying, believe this, believe that, and they don't know what is true. And I believe that we're hardwired. God created us that way, that we were made for a mission, to do something incredibly special. 
not just special, but something supernatural. Um, you know, in, in, in the scriptures, God says, he said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you even existence, he knew who we were. And he said, I've called you by name and I've carved you in the palm of my hand. None of us are here by accident. No one is. We're all here for a purpose and a reason. You know, in the Jewish tradition, before a child is born, as a child is being born, you know what the Jewish people would believe? Is that they, they believe that there are legions of angels, all trumpets blowing, saying, make way for the image of God. Isn't that beautiful? But that should, if we really believe in a loving God, that shouldn't surprise us. That should be, yeah, this is how great our God is. But we have so many voices, hundreds if not thousands of voices, the media, social media, Hollywood, the movies, the music industry, all these voices telling us what to believe, what not to believe. But so how do you know what to believe? You know, bankers, you know how bankers are taught to spot a counterfeit, does anyone know? Do they look at the thousands of different counterfeits? No, here's what they do. They get the real McCoy and they study it inside and out. And once they know what the real McCoy looks like, they can instantly spot a counterfeit. And it's the same way, once we know what our mission is, we can hear, know the other voices are counterfeits. But we have to know what that mission is. And um, you guys remember Lee Iacocca? I'm showing my age. I graduated high school in 81. But in the 80s, as you know, he, uh, so did you, woohoo! Um, he, uh, Chrysler was on the verge of bankruptcy, and um, he saved them from bankruptcy. He was all over the TV at the time in the 80s, if those of you remember. But anyway, I remember him telling a story. When he was a young engineer at Ford, he said the goal of every engineer at Ford was to get this golden key to go to the bathroom. And he said, if you got that golden key, you, sir, you have arrived. And he said these engineers would not just work 12, 15 hours a day, but they worked six, seven days a week all to get a key to go to the bathroom. And I was fortunate enough to get a, a wrestling scholarship at one of the better schools in the country, Division II. We wrestled a lot of D1 schools, but my coach was written up. The year before I got there, he was written up as coach of the year, I believe, in Sports Illustrated. And um, one of the things he would do is he would take us all out to, um, I'm going to keep track of my time. Um, he, would, he would take us, once the guys who got a scholarship out to breakfast, just just us and him. And so he took me out, and I was so excited to go out with him and just talk, and, and we sat down. I'll never forget. I mean, this is 1981, the fall of 81. And we sat down, and I said, so coach, what was it like to be coach of the year? And he ignored my question. Just act like he didn't hear it. I thought, oh, that was kind of strange. So I asked again about 10 minutes later. I said, coach, what was it like to be coach of the year? And he ignored it again. And naive, I'm thinking, well, maybe he has other things he wants to tell me, and we'll get to that later. So at the end of breakfast, I asked him again. I said, Coach, what was it like to be Coach of the Year? And I'll never forget, he, he took a deep breath, put his fork down, and, and the mood got really serious. And he said, you want to know? And I said, yeah. He goes, they gave me the award, called my name. I got a standing ovation because I took my award found a closet, a janitor's closet, and I closed the door, 
and I cried. And I'm like, awkward. Um, so coach, I'm gonna understand, why were you crying? He said, because I thought, is this it? Is this all there is? He said, I'm not proud of this, but I have four kids. We don't know each other. I have a wife, because we all live in the same house, but I was so busy trying to get this award. I don't know my wife. I don't know my kids. And I thought once I got this, I would go, wow. Is this it? Is this all there is? And I was like, that was, that was a defining moment in my life. Because there were so many things I was believing that I was starting to go out for. And um, remember Tom Brady, after he won his third Super Bowl ring, they said, Tom, what's it like? You're a multimillionaire. You've won three Super Bowls. You know, you're so famous. Guess what he said? Is this it? At that time, he'd only won three. He says, is this it? Is this all there is? And I had chills almost. That's what Satan does. He says things that are very, um, he takes things that are very bad for us, but then he packages them in a very um, deadly manner. He takes things that are very attractive, but he, I'm sorry, very deadly for us, but he packages them very attractively. It's like taking rat poisoning and, uh, you know, take a piece of chocolate or rat poisoning and round it with a piece of chocolate. Cover it with chocolate. Looks good, smells good, till you eat it. And most of the voices are telling us things that will not bring us true happiness. And you guys already know this. I'm preaching to the choir. And most things I'm going to tell you guys already know. Hopefully I'm just saying it a different way to kind of bring it to a different light. Um, but I believe the most profound truths in the world are the simple ones. The most powerful truths in the world are the simple ones. And a lot of times, because they're so simple, we dismiss them. Can anyone tell me what our purpose and mission in life is? I'll give you a hint. It's from the Baltimore Catechism. Yes. in this world and be with him forever and the next. God bless you, that's awesome. You guys heard it. What's that? <laughs> so, yes, our purpose in life is to know, love, and serve God in this world and be happy with him in the next. To know, to love, and serve God in this world and be happy with him in the next. Now, you guys may think, that's pretty simple. Yeah, whatever. And it's easy to just blow it off. But please, hang on with me. Because I, um, uh, Mark, I think I have till about uh, 1.55, 2 o'clock-ish? Yeah. Okay, bless you. All right. Um, because I'm going to take you on a little journey just to show you how, by the way, the guys who win the national championships in wrestling every year, it's with the simple moves. Single legs, double legs. They don't win with fancy moves. It's the simple things in life. And um, you guys know any good coach, it always goes back to the fundamentals and the basics. The NFL, you know, it's everything, the fundamentals and the basics. Um, our, our coach, we had, we, when we were there, we had 11 or 13 All-Americans in like a five-year period. There's only 12 or 13 weight classes. And a number of those guys were two or three-time All-Americans. You know, we, the first week, I, I did, it wasn't planned on my talk, but I just going Make it quick. The first week, we couldn't wrestle live. We had to do all the moves. A lot of these guys had been you know, All-Americans already or high school state champs. We went The first week of practice, we went through all the moves at 25%. The next week, 50% speed. 
the, the third week, it wasn't until the fourth week we actually wrestled live. And I'm thinking, what? He knew what he was doing. So we're going to go back to the basics for the next 30 minutes. Um, uh, I heard a priest from EWN say once, you're a success in life if you make it to heaven. Period. There's no second place. No matter how many stupid things we've done, no matter if we're, if we're not smart or it's not attractive or whatever it is, we're not whatever, it doesn't make any difference. We are a success in life if we make it to heaven. Nothing else really matters. Um, uh, and um, it all starts with a loving relationship with God. They say the furthest distance anyone will ever travel is the 18 inches between our head, bless you, and our heart. Not just knowing that God loves me, but going all the way down to here where I know that I know that I know that he loves me. Then the whole color of our world changes. You guys know who St. Augustine is, right? Here's what he said. I love this saying. To fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him is the greatest adventure. And to find him is the greatest human achievement. It doesn't get more Dick and Jane than that. Um, and, and the thing about it is, when we make this, and that's really, because our faith is a religion, there's no question, but we, is it, a, it is a religion, but at the heart of that religion is a relationship with the high king of the universe. And if we miss that relationship, the other things, if you take away the relationship with Jesus and the Trinity, all the stuff is a bunch of rules and regulations. So the church's teachings don't make a lot of sense. The sacraments don't make as much sense. But once you get that, that incredible love that he has for us, then everything else changes. And it doesn't just change us, but it changes the world. You guys know who C.S. Lewis was. Here's what he said. The people who've made the biggest impact in this world are the ones that have their hearts and their minds in the next world. Say that again. The people who've made the biggest impact in this world are the ones that have their hearts in their minds, in the next world. And I'm gonna, I could go elaborate, but I'm going to make it quick. In every aspect of life, Christianity has changed the entire world. Sanctifying grace transforms the world like nothing else. That's the most powerful force in the universe is sanctifying grace. Um, 94%, we'll start with the social aspects of, of life. 94% of all the slavery throughout mankind's history has been outside of Christianity. 94%. So that means 6% was inside, which is 6% too much. But most of slavery was outside of Christianity. But guess what religion actually stopped slavery for the first time in the world? Christianity. You guys remember the guy's name? William Wilberforce. He was profoundly moved by the song Amazing Grace. And he spent 40 years in England trying to fight it. So Christianity stopped slavery. Um, anyone know where the first hospitals were invented? Catholic Church. Um, uh, the two largest social, or, uh, social organizations in the planet, are they Buddhist? Are they Hindu? Are they Muslim? They're Christian. Catholic Charities and World Vision, Protestant organizations. Two largest social programs on the planet. Um, how about music? Um, you guys know who Bach is? 1,400 writings. Guess what he'd write on each of his... Each of his um, uh, pieces of work he'd write, with God's help. With God's help. How about Beethoven, profoundly religious man? You know what he said? On all of his songs he wrote, to my dear 
God. It was an expression of his profound love for God. Um, and then how about science? There was an um, Orthodox Jewish rabbi I heard of 15, 20 years ago. Here's what he said. He said 98% of all the technological, medical, and scientific advancements, 98% over the last 1,500 years has come out of Christianity. He's right. I'll make this quick. My, brother, my older brother's actually one of the top astrophysicists in the world. He went to MIT, then designed satellites for 10 years, and then went to Princeton and broke an equation Einstein was working on and got international recognition. Um, but when he went to MIT, he graduated from high school in 78, most of the scientists at MIT were atheists. And he was, he was saying, man, these are some of the smartest people in the world. They don't think God's, he says, maybe he doesn't. But he said, my dad had his PhD at the time, and my mom had her master's, and he said, you know, my parents aren't simpletons. They really loved God and this faith. And he said, uh, you know, um, out, of, out of respect for them, I'm going to look one more. And he found out that most people think religion's here and science here. It's wrong. He calls it, Rizzi's believe it or not, that modern science came out of the Catholic Church. Where are the first universities on the planet? Anyone know? The Catholic Church. Rome, Paris, Germany. Um, and what this rabbi went on to say is, he said, um, I'm not, as a Jew, I'm not saying Christians are smarter than anyone else. I'm not. And he knew a, a basic fundamental that most Christians don't know. Here's what he said. In the Christian world, the whole point is to get to know God. It's know God, then out of that knowledge for him, we'll love him, our love for him, we'll serve him, and then we'll be with him forever and eternity. And he said, so, and here's the example that the rabbi used. Suppose you're um, Isaac Newton. And he was a man of faith, but suppose he wasn't a man of faith and an apple fell on his head. He would go, huh, whatever. But because Isaac Newton was a man of faith, the apple fell on his head, and guess what he thought? If I can figure out what caused that apple to fall, I'll get to know God better. And that was the cat, and he's exactly right. My brother says that you have all these great minds pop up in different parts of the world, Asia, you know, uh, Africa, but there's no culture that supports it. So the seed quickly rises and then dies. But this is a point about Christianity. When we have that experience, it doesn't just change us, it changes the whole world. Um, uh, how am I doing on time? Okay, good, good, plenty of time, plenty of time. Um, so, uh, let me get my notes straight. The whole goal is to eventually make it to heaven. And what is heaven like? We don't hear about it much. Very seldom do you hear of a homily on heaven, but I think it's extremely important. So you guys know who St. Thomas Aquinas was? One of the greatest minds that ever lived. My brother says he actually was the greatest mind that ever lived because not only was he this incredible intellect, but um, he had sanctifying grace. And I won't get into it, but he's the one that sent the foundation for all Western civilization. He looked around the world and, and um, he looked for all the brilliant lights and he tried to put it together. And it, you know who it had the biggest impact on was the Greek philosophers. Socrates, um, Aristotle, um, these guys, he was profoundly moved by them. But, uh, and you know, when the founding fathers talk about a na natural law and stuff like that, guess who they're quoting? St. Thomas Aquinas, brilliant mind. Anyway, the end of his life, Jesus came to him and gave him a vision of heaven. And two things happened. He said, everything I've ever written is straw. He's writing another masterpiece, he stopped. Everything I've ever written is straw. And the second thing he said is, 
Jesus, take me home now. He died within three months. What does Scripture tell in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, or the thought ever entered the mind of man what God has in store for those who love him. No one's ever seen it, no one's ever heard it, or even thought about how great it is. I think I heard a priest say, the best way to expect, imagine this is, think about all the love you've ever felt in your life. As you can put all the years together and just cherry pick the highlights, the best loving moments, and put them all together, and then experience it at one time. That might be the closest we can get of how beautiful heaven is. Because this is not our home. We're just passing through, and Mark is a warrior, and Greg is another warrior. There's so many people, I'm sure a lot of you are warriors, and the reason they're not, they're afraid, they're not afraid because they know this place is not our home. We're just spending the night here on our way to heaven. Okay, so God doesn't just say, I want you to know, love, and serve me in this world and be, with happy, with, be, with happy for me, with, be happy with me forever in heaven. He gives us help. And the first thing he gives us is grace. And I'm not proud of this, but when I was younger, um, I didn't really understand grace. And I was telling my friend Tim here, Tim is, I have a, a friend that's black that when he sees me, sometimes he'll Dominic, my brother from another mother. Tim is my brother from the same mother, the blessed mother. But um, uh, I lost my train, oh, uh, lost my train of thought. Um, um, you can tell I'm just so excited about talking about this because I'm so passionate about it. But um, Scott Peck, you guys ever heard of Scott Peck? He wrote the book, um, yes, um, People of a Lie and the Road Less Traveled. It was on the New York Times bestseller for 14 years. He said when he went through, went, went through medical school, he's convinced grace didn't exist and either did God. But he said after practicing for 20 to 25 years, he's convinced that God exists and he knows grace abounds. And that's what I was going to say is that when I was younger, and I remember hearing someone say, there but the grace of God go I. I'm not proud of this. I'm just being transparent with you. I'd get irritated. I thought, are you kidding me? I'm nothing like that person. Well, without God's grace, I'd be worse than that person. I, I get it now. I'm a little slow, but I get it. Um, bless you. And Scott Peck tells a story about a, a friend of his who was a rocket scientist. And he remembers he was going down a, um, a, a mountain with a bunch of blind curves like this. And when he was about halfway down the mountain, he got this incredible urge to slam on the brakes. And so he slammed, he didn't know why, he didn't see anything, he just slid on, slammed on the brakes. And as soon as he did, this huge 18-wheeler came out of nowhere. And if he hadn't slammed on his brakes, the 18-wheeler would have hit him, and he would have fallen off the curve and probably, uh, uh, the road and probably died. But the question Scott Peck asked, or the scientist asked, what made me stop right then? Why didn't I stop 10 seconds earlier or 10 seconds later or a minute later? What made me stop right then? And Scott Peck would say, that's a concrete example of grace. Um, have you guys ever heard, you guys, does anyone know the, the um, story of uh, the song Amazing Grace? Anyone know where it came from? Anyone know the story behind the song? You do, one person does. It's, it's a beautiful, true story. Guy was a slave trader, true story. And he ran into a horrible storm. He'd been on the ocean most of his life, so he knew he was done. He wasn't getting out of this one. So he said, Lord, 
I'm doing one of the worst things that a person can do. I'm selling my, brother, my, my fellow man. If you get me out of this, I promise I'll change. And in an instant, the storm stopped. And he was true to his word. And he wrote the song. Let me read to you um, the verses here. One of the verses. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's his grace that has brought me home, and his grace that will lead me home. And that's still one of the pop, most popular songs in the world. And, and this is a light sketching of what, um, here's one more. Footprints, you guys heard of footprints? Humor me while I read it to you. One night a man had a dream. He was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. In each scene he noticed there were two sets of footprints in the sand, one by him, one by the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked at the footprints in the sand and noticed there was only many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints and he'd also noticed that this happened during the most difficult, the worst times of his life. This bothered the man. So he said, Lord, I don't understand. You said, once I decide to follow you, you will always walk with me. But I've noticed that during the most difficult, troubling times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. Why would you leave me? The Lord replied, my precious son, I would never leave you. During those times of trouble, when you see only one set of footprints, I was carrying. This is grace. This is the great God that we have. Um, and so there's two kinds of grace. There's actual grace and there's sanctifying grace. Can anyone tell me what actual grace is? Okay. Actual grace, think, what's the first three words or letters in actual? A-C-T, it's action. Where God gives you supernatural grace to do supernatural good acts. That's the easy way to remember it. Um, Shakespeare once said, we find out now, more than likely he was a very devout Catholic. Um, another example of how Christianity changed the world. He had to keep it undercover at the time because there was persecution at the time. But um, he said to err is human, I'm sorry, to forgive, he, he said to err is human, to forgive is divine. And he's right. If you've had people that's really hurt you in life, I don't have the power to change, to forgive. So that's an example of actual grace. God gives us supernatural power to do supernatural acts. Sanctifying grace. This is the big Mother Goocher. This is the most powerful force in the universe. A nuclear energy is nothing compared to sanctifying grace. Can anyone tell me what sanctifying grace is? And I'm embarrassed to tell you, I didn't know. I heard the word, but I couldn't explain it. Here's what it is in one sentence. It's a created share of God's divinity, a created share of God's divinity. This is where St. Peter, the first pope, said, he says in scripture, we are partakers of the divine nature. We actually partake in the divine nature of the high king of the universe. And he, God takes his sanctifying grace and infuses it into our soul. And as my spiritual director says, at that point, our soul becomes unspeakably beautiful and absolutely priceless. Our soul becomes unspeakably beautiful and absolutely priceless. Now, has anyone ever seen God in his full glory? 
No, why not? Because of an infinite being, I mean, a finite being sees an infinite being or imperfect being actually sees the perfect one being, what would happen to us? We would cease to exist. It would be too much for us. Um, that's why there's purgatory. We can get the purging out. But God gave the grace to one person to actually see him, uh, to actually see another soul in the state of grace. So if Tim's in the state of grace, he gave this one person the ability to see that individual soul, which is like seeing God because it's sanctifying grace. It's a greater share of God's divinity. Does anyone can guess who it was? It was a woman. It was St. Catherine of Siena. She said two things that just blow me away. First of all, um, she said, so like Tim is in the state of grace, she said, I would die to make sure that his soul never, ever got out of the state of grace. It was so beautiful, so magnificent. I would do whatever it took to make sure he always stayed in the state of grace. And guess what the other second thing she did was? She started to kiss the ground where priests walked. And people thought, okay, she's flipped out now. Something's not right here. And they said, why are you doing this? And she said, because this is the vehicle God has chosen to bring sanctifying grace into the world. Now, can anyone tell me um, how sanctifying grace comes in the world? I'll give you a hint. There's seven channels. Anyone want to take a guess? The seven sacraments, yes. That's the only way they come in the world. Now think about if you were God, okay? And you have someone, this first being born, would you need some sanctifying grace right then? Yeah, what do we call that? Baptism. How about when you start to go from a girl to a woman or a boy to a man? Would you need some sanctifying grace then? What do we call that? Confirmation. How about when you decide what's your, um, uh, I didn't know you guys were there. Oh, look at you guys here. <laughs> um, how about when you decide what your vocation should be? Should I be married? Should I be religious? Should I be single? Yes. We call that, we know what that is. And then, of course, how about right before we take the big dirt nap? You think we need some sanctifying grace? And what do we call that? Last rites. Um, and then, of course, then there's confession in the Eucharist. But which one do you think is the most important of the seven? Does anyone have an idea? What's that? You, you're, you both, you're all right. The first one is baptism. But after baptism, it's the Eucharist. Um, you know what Padre Peel said? He said, um, it's easier for the world to exist without the Son than it is the Eucharist. I can't get my head around that. Um, that's just, that's just mind-boggling. Um, it's the most powerful force in the universe. Um, I heard one priest say it this way. It's like the Eucharist is the sun, and all the other sacraments outside of baptism are like the other planets that revolve around it. Um, so that's the first thing. He gives us sanctifying grace. He not just gives us occasional graces, but sanctifying grace. And so it's so important that we have an active sacramental life. The next thing he gives us is his blessed mother. Um, I have my props up here. This, Dr. Gregory's talked about this book. Everyone ever heard, seen this book before or read it? Wonderful, wonderful book. Um, he quotes a lot of the 
a number of saints and doctors of the church. You guys know what a doctor of a church is? I, when I asked my phone, how many of people, how many human beings have ever lived? They said about 100 billion. The church has chosen 36 people that God has chosen to put, to bring insights and wisdom that we'll never get from anywhere else. There's only 36 of them. And so he quotes a number of the doctors of the church. And here's, here's how he summarizes um, the importance of the Blessed Mother. He said, the surest, easiest, shortest, and most perfect way to become a saint is with the Blessed Mother. The surest, easiest, shortest, and most perfect way to become a saint is with the Blessed Mother. Um, in the Gospel, in, in Magnifica, it says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I usually have a pair of glasses, and I said, you know, I put my glasses on, um, when I have glasses, I don't look at them, do I? I look through them, put them on, and I look through them. And then I can see things much clearer. We don't look at the Blessed Mother, per se. We look through her. And her soul magnifies the Lord. So we can see things that we never thought could, we could see before. Things that are blurry become clear. Um, there's a new uh, podcast out by, he's an exorcist, Father Carlos Martin. And... Um, iHeartRadio, its goal was to be in the top 200. It's called The Exorcist Files. And his goal, and he, he's an exorcist. And it, their goal was to be in the top 200 in the world. It's now number 32 in the world. And he was telling a story about um, Lourdes Bernadette, where she was having an apparition with the Blessed Mother. And over in the river, she could hear the demon just howling and screaming. And it started to startle um, Bernadette. And Bernadette said this, the Blessed Mother simply went, just slightly gazed, and the demon screamed and fled. You guys know who Father Ripperger is? One of the top exorcists in the country, if not the world. He says, if I'm doing an exorcism, and if the Blessed Mother shows up, it's over, it's done. They fly. And how about when we say, Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, our hope, to you do we cry, to you do we send forth our sighs, weeping, and his valley of tears. After this, turn to us. Can you imagine her turning to us and just going? The power, the protection we have. Turn to us your most gracious eyes. He gives us the Blessed Mother. What, what a beautiful, what a beautiful gift. And the last thing, and I'm going to be wrapping up here in about five minutes. I want to be respectful to my time and the other speakers. Um, so he gives us grace. He gives us a blessed mother. And he gives us each a guardian angel. And if you're like me, I heard my parents and people tell me that we all have our own guardian angel. I'm not proud of it. I'm just being honest. Like, yeah, whatever, you know. But I heard Father Ripperger talk about this. And you know what he says? He says that guardian angel has one, was made for one purpose, to protect you. It's not like he gets recycled after you die. And he says, that's how demons, as soon as they created, they had a moment. Are you going to serve me or not? Um, and he said, as soon as your guardian angel was, was created, I want you to serve her and be her bodyguard. And it's, if they say no, it's over. If they say yes, that's the whole thing that they're made for. And we should be talking to our guardian angel and saying, you know, here's things I struggle with. Will you help me? 
And Father Ripperger, I actually heard him say this in the last few weeks. He said, um, your guardian angel actually looks like you. That's what Father Ripperger said. And he said that, there, that God's love for you was so great, he gave you someone that's going to be your bodyguard, that's going to be, know you so well, he actually looks like you. How great of a God is this? And by the way, the story I was just telling you about um, Bernadine, I was t- two nights ago, I was talking to another priest about this, and you know what he told me? He goes, can I tell you a story that happened to me? He goes, I had just been ordained, and I got a call. He goes, this person said, they got this number, the Holy Spirit gave him this number to call. They lived on the Missouri side, he lives in Kansas. And he goes, how'd you get my number? He goes, the Holy Spirit gave to me, I just... Wait, what? You live in the 816? This is 916. I don't know what to tell you, but my daughter is possessed. And he said, what? And he said, yeah, will you talk to her? So he's talking to his daughter, the woman's daughter, and there's a voice like this. Oh, crap, this is serious. And he prays, and guess what he decides to do? Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known. And he said the demon went, no, stop, stop. Never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, and the more that, and then boom, was over, left. This is how powerful the Blessed Mother is. It's real. So I'm going to close with an example. Um, I remember a number of years ago, um, and um, Tim, you know, we both have a very good appreciation for our Protestant brothers and sisters. As Scott Hahn once said, um, sometimes Protestants do a lot more with a lot less. And I heard, probably about 30 years ago, um, a Protestant, he he traveled around the country talking about relationships and family, and he said, he ended his talk with this. He goes, here's my flashlight. Whatever I plug it into, it lights up. And he said, if you're like most of us, we plug ourselves into one of three things. And um, he says, the first thing we plug ourselves into is another person. We think, if I can get that person to get their love, then I'll be happy. And so we plug ourselves on that person, and guess what happens? It lights up. It works. And he says, for a while. Because then it starts to dimmer. And then it starts to flash. And then it goes out completely. Um, and then he said, well, we think, okay, if it's not in people, maybe it's in fame and fortune. Maybe if I was really rich, and as a multimillionaire, a billionaire, and everyone knew me, then I'd be happy. And he said, you know, um, and that works. It lights up. And then it gets dimmer. And then it starts to flicker. And then it goes out completely. And he, he talked about, um, in the 1920s, they took a, did a study on the six wealthiest people in the world. And out of those six wealthy people, they did a study on how they died. Two committed suicide. Two had nervous breakdowns, and one died alone and all by himself. How about Elvis Presley? How old was he when he died? 42, 43? Drug overdose. So, okay, it's not in people, it's not in fame and fortune and money. Maybe it's in a place. Maybe if you all live in Hawaii and we're out on the beach right now and it's beautiful, it, and the same thing. It works for a while, it lights up, and then eventually gets dim, and then eventually goes out. And he said, Gary Smalley was his name, and he said, anytime we plug ourselves into anything of the world, it's only temporary. Because what we have to do is unplug ourselves from the world and plug ourselves into God. And then the peace and the joy 
that goes far beyond any human understanding comes into our life. And he said, you can always tell when you're not plugged into God because you start having negative emotions, fear, anxiety, stress. And he says, check your extension cord, see what it's plugged into. He said, you're gonna find yourself that you're plugged into someone or something of the world. He said, then unplug it, be conscious of it, and then plug yourself back into God. And what our loving God is, Catholic Christians, he gives us three things. Him, sanctifying grace, his blessed mother, and our guardian angel, just to name a few. And, um, and I think that's so important. If we're, if we're just focusing on pleasing him, it's, it's, it slowly gets easier to, to forget the noise. Because I'm convinced, you know, no one knew who Mother Teresa was for 20 years. She did what she did for 20 years, and they, the BBC accidentally fell upon her and found her. But I heard someone say, and I think it's true, there are probably thousands and thousands of other Mother Teresas, that the world, miniature ones, the world doesn't know about. And that should be our attitude, to be a holy nobody. No one has to care if no one knows who I am. I don't have to make a lot of money. I can have a terrible car and not a fancy house. It's all right. As long as I'm pleasing him. And I want to close with this. Um, Father John Powell once said that um, everyone comes into the world with their fists closed when they're a baby like this. And then when we die, our hands open up. And he said that's symbolic. That God has given us each something supernatural to give back to him and back to the world. And this is symbolic. That when we die, with his grace, We've been getting back to him in the world, our mission and our purpose, to know, love, and serve him in this world and be with him forever in the next. So we can hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. With you, I'm well pleased. Let's close with a prayer in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for um, this beautiful weather and all the graces you give us. Help us remember the basics and the spiritual fundamentals. All that matters is that we make it to heaven and be with you for all eternity. So we know that our mind has never imagined how awesome, how great it's going to be. Give these people special blessings that they take time out of their day to do something like this. Bless them far beyond anything they can imagine. We ask all our brothers and sisters, the entire community of saints, the church triumphant, the church militant, and the church suffering, with the great Saint Joseph, as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you.